one constant through all the years, Ray. Been Beyond the game. The ladies are digging my sweet face. That's the dumbest thing I could think of. Our formula is this. We go out, we hit people in the mouth. You like that? You like that? That is a career ender. Just like this show. You're already famous in Rochester, the Watch Out World. It's a faith-based sports radio program. We would be honored if you would join us. the BTG studio in Rochester, New York. This is the Beyond the Game program, sports talk without the trash talk. I'm Rick Benson. Across the studio from me is Zach Barletta. And what a week in sports it has been, Zach. What a, between the Cavaliers completely turning over their roster and some all kinds of NBA trades. Then you had college basketball madness with St. John's beating not only Duke, but then turning around and bill- yeah. beating Villanova. I mean, you would have thought there'd been some letdown, but the Colts announced a coach who didn't sign. That's just crazy. The that Patriots Josh lost McDaniel the Super Bowl. Yeah, it's just crazy. And yeah, as you say, we're just coming off the Super Bowl. But the Josh McDaniels thing, when you hired assistants who reports say that they were working in the building, and then not, I I don't know. That's crazy. That's yeah. That's doing some people wrong. That's putting some people in a very bad spot. But spring training starts in just a few days. Yes. Camps begin opening up. Uh, man, I am just so excited. In fact, I, I heard this week that the Yankees are going to open can, uh, open the gates at spring training games there in Tampa three hours early so that fans have a chance to see batting practice. That's Usually it's fun. only two hours. And the home team's already done by the time the gates open, but the Yankees are going to open up early so you can see those guys just mash. I would absolutely sit there for three hours of BP and then another three hours of the game. I would have no problem sitting there for six hours on a wonderful afternoon in Florida or even if it was one of the Arizona teams, but especially during spring training when the weather is so warm and I'm not staring in the face of some cold wind blowing in off Lake Ontario. Yeah, man. Anyway, we got a lot to do on this week's show. We're going to discuss what's going on in baseball in regards to free agents. Would don't would, would, would the owners actually dare to conspire against players to avoid paying big contracts? Yeah, it's more like what's not going on in baseball. Yeah, right admittedly, the game can't continue to sustain rising payrolls, but... Boy, that'd be pretty bold after getting slapped some years ago. But once again, we're hearing complaints from players and their agents about collusion. The Super Bowl is come and gone. A week later, they're, man, what is there left to talk about? Everything's been so dissected, but only the ongoing task that the NFL faces of defining what exactly constitute a catch is what we're going to talk about coming up later on. Do New England Patriots fans have a do they have a complaint in light of a couple of the Eagles touchdowns from Super Bowl 52 that went their way? Zach has new shenanigan statements. And, of course, we'll tell you what it is that we like this week. With Zach Barletta, I'm Rick Benson. This is the Beyond the Game program. Hey, it's Zach. If you're a fan of Unsolved Mysteries, Mythical Monsters, Murder Whodunits, or just podcasts in general, check out my other show, The Myths and Mysteries Podcast. 
Every two weeks, my brother Spencer and I tell fascinating stories about topics like the Bermuda Triangle, JFK's assassination, chupacabras, serial killers, and more. You can find us by searching for Myths and Mysteries on iTunes or Google Play or on our website, mythsandmysteriespod.com. Don't forget to click subscribe and leave us a review to let us know what you think. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Myths Podcast. So go check out the Myths and Mysteries podcast, and we'll see you next time. It took me a long time to be able to say Chandler has cancer, because that is such a scary word. When St. Jude finds something that works well with a certain cancer, they share that with everybody. And knowing that we don't have to pay for all of the medical expenses, that's huge. We just have to worry about helping Chandler, and he's just my heart. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Finding cures, saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. Rick Benson, Zach Barletta, this is the Beyond the Game program. Talking sports from a faith-based point of view. Players will be reporting to Major League Baseball camps over the next few days, and the baseball hot stove season will come to to an end. More than any other sport, I I think anyway, fans enjoy the baseball offseason more than others because of that hot stove action. And I'm not sure, Zach, I could pinpoint why that is. But doesn't it seem to you like the baseball offseason is more fun than the others? I think so, because a lot of the other offseasons and the other sports, there's like a free agent frenzy on the first official day. And the first day, tons of people sign. And then after that, it's like a trickle. Basically, like this entire baseball offseason has been. Within the last week, one of the guys that I really wanted to see the Yankees bring back. He found a home elsewhere. Todd Frazier signed a deal with the New York Mets that keeps him in New York, just not with the Yankees. He took a two-year deal worth $17 million from the Mets, which for a little security, considering that the Yankees are going into the season with Miguel Andahar uh, slated to be their starting third baseman, $17 million seems affordable to me. So I don't know why they wouldn't sign him, except maybe that second year was a backbreaker to them. I think so. And I think um, if they're going to stay under the luxury tax amount like they really want to, they only had about $15 million to spend. So that would have you know, basically cut their available budget for the year and a half. Truth be told, he, he was a fan favorite. Yeah. I enjoyed him. But um, you're wearing he, his T-shirt right now. What happens to this now? Does this become a Mets thing? Do you have to make it lighter blue and orange? Yeah, do the Yankees get to keep doing that? Does he take? Because it'd be really weird, like if the Mets started doing it all of a sudden, right? That just, it would be weird. Yeah, that that doesn't work. By the way, the deal comes with the approval of, I think his his last name is Dunair, Gary Dunair. That's the thumbs down guy. Mm-hmm. That's the Mets season ticket holder. He liked the deal. He was approving of the Todd Frazier deal. But as I started to say, he didn't. He wasn't real productive at the plate last year. And it just seemed like he was because so many of his hits were, man, they were key hits. You know, Mm -hmm. they were big situations. And, of course, he was fun to have on the team. But when you looked at the numbers, I was a little surprised at how paltry his numbers actually were. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's very much, um, at this stage of his career, he's an all-or-nothing sort of hitter where he sells out for power, but you don't really get much else. Apart from that and a few other minor ripples of activity. And of course, there's that major splash with the Giancarlo Stanton trade. 
this really hasn't been much of a hot stove season. I remember talking at the end of last year how we were looking forward to it, but I can't remember as the last time there was such inactivity. No, it's the hot stove's been lukewarm at best. It's been a very quiet, pretty boring offseason. Now, because camps are about to open, between the time we're recording the show and by the time it actually broadcasts, maybe the floodgates will open and there'll have been tons of signings, but with so little having happened to this point and being so close to spring training opening, I tell you, the rumors of collusion by the owners is getting louder and louder, and it begins to start looking like maybe there's some validity to it. But would the owners be so crazy to do this again? Remember back in the mid-'80s, they were found guilty of colluding. Back then, there was three or four straight seasons of relative inactivity uh, um, for free agents. Name brand guys, some of the guys on this list, Kirk Gibson, Rod Carew, Carlton Fisk, Don Sutton, Bobby Gritch, Phil Negro, Tommy John. These are name brand guys that they couldn't get offers apart from the team that they had last played with. Owners had even been so brazen as to come up with uh, an information bank where if you made an offer to a player, You reported it to this bank so that other owners could check in on it and see what's been offered. So you're not going to overprice or overbid for a player. The great Andre Dawson, Hall of Famer, Andre Dawson, so desperate to get out of Montreal at the time of this collusion that he ended up giving the Chicago Cubs a blank contract and told them to just fill it in. And of course they did for something like $500,000 which I, I don't remember the exact figure, but what I do remember, it was about half of what he made the previous season. And he would only go on to win the NL MVP that year. So the the Cubs got a bargain. Now, the arbitrators found, several arbitrators found the owners guilty. And it took them a few years, but they came up with a settlement with the players. And something uh, It was $280 million plus interest and other costs as compensation. Those other costs, that total penalty, ended up costing $434 million. Could the current owners have forgotten this history and be colluding again? Do do you suspect that? I actually don't. Um, I don't think it's as much collusion, um, A, because it would be stupid, like you said, to do that same thing again. Because think about it, if they cost them that $434 million all those years ago, imagine what it's going to cost them today. Secondly, I think that we're in an era now of data and so much more information is available to these teams and these front offices that I think teams have figured out when we sign these older players to these long-term deals, it never, ever works out. And I think... You're seeing younger general managers running these front offices now. These guys have all graduated from the same schools. They've all been taught the same things. They all have the same computer software to build their rosters with. I think they've all sort of wised up and figured out throwing this money around has never worked. So I think what you're seeing is just a smartening up of front offices more than anything. In 2006, when they were guilty and they got fined $12 million, ended up playing the Major League Baseball Players Association, $12 million. The settlement was they didn't have to admit guilt. So while they were guilty, they didn't have to say 
they were guilty. They settled out of court, so The to collective speak. bargain agreement is actually something that's come out of these settlements. Every time the players have the players association has suspected collusion and they've asked for an investigation, they've come away with some sort of settlement. So you would think that this would probably be a good time to at least ask for an investigation. The collective mm-hmm. bargaining agreement, as I say, is something that came out of those and when this past deal was reached, though they agreed to it, the players immediately, their their agents told them, you got a bad deal here. One of the things that is helping to lead to this situation is the fact that players have to wait a longer period of time before they're free agent eligible, mm-hmm. which means a lot of the great young talent, and there is great young talent around this league, is ineligible for free agency which means there's less players on the market. So owners are content to sit with the players they have rather than go spend on these higher – there's less free agents on the market. They're not Mm -hmm. paying the skyrocketed prices for older players when there's so much young talent that's not free agent eligible yet. you got guys like Aaron Judge on the Yankees and and Francisco Lindor uh, on the Indians is just – tremendous players that are not going to be free agent eligible for a time. Not everybody's going to be able to make Giancarlo Stanton money. And I think players have to realize that. So this is where I'm coming. We're saying, I don't know if, and of course, we're two guys talking, sports fans talking in a studio here. What do we really know? Right. But I would think that it's probably less collusion because, again, it would be fairly foolish as much as it is being responsible and kind of a wink and, and a nod and everybody's waiting for the first domino to fall mm-hmm. and it's just not. Now I'm hearing things like they're going to have – the free agents are going to have their own spring training camp. Except for Boris, guys. Did you see Boris said his guys no, don't need it? No, I didn't see that. Boris said he's got enough – fields and facilities for his guys to use they don't have to go to a to a free agent camp i think another reason that so many free agents are unsigned as well is that it used to be the guys who got the great big huge contracts were the sluggers and the home run hitters and home runs are up so much around baseball everybody's hitting 20 home runs these days the guys who only hit home runs who don't give you much else those guys are a dime a dozen these days. Guys mm-hmm. don't want to give them tons of money when they can find that power somewhere else. Now, I obviously can't relate to the concerns of players when it comes to collusion. However, I'm willing to guess that myself and most of us have at times felt like people have been teaming up against us. In fact, there are times when it feels the whole world is against us. And of course, that hurt is even worse when it's Somebody you're supposed to be able to trust, like a family member or or a close friend, and you would think that baseball players would be able to trust ownership. I mean, after all, they're making tons of money for those guys, but players have never trusted ownership, and ownership has never trusted players. King David felt that betrayal when he wrote about it in Psalm 41, verse 9. He says, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. And Jesus felt that same betrayal. That verse there in forty one nine, Psalm forty one nine, is prophetic in 
Jesus's betrayal from Judas, and that's who Jesus is talking about. He quotes that scripture in John thirteen eighteen and applying it to the person of Judas. Jesus says this, I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones I have chosen, but it is that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. And the Bible is filled with these types of relationships that people you would think you would be able to trust have turned against them. You can think of Cain and Abel, brother and brother, Miriam and Moses, sister and brother. Joseph was betrayed by all his brothers had teamed up against him. You got David and Absalom, his his own son. Well, we get the feeling down. We have this tendency to feel a bit sorry for ourselves. Now, obviously, it's a bit of a stretch to think that the whole world is teaming up against us. And it's important to remember that it's hardly ever really as bad as it seems. But regardless of how bad it is, we can trust in the faithfulness of a God who cares about us. And David points that out in the first three verses of that Psalm 41. He says, How blessed is he who considers the helpless. The Lord will deliver him in a day of trouble. The Lord will protect him and keep him alive. And he shall be called blessed upon the earth. And do not give him over to the desires of his enemies. The Lord will sustain him upon his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to health. Second Thessalonians 3.3 3 says, But the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. A rather unfortunate thing about life is that not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody's going to dig who you are. And David talks about that in verse 5 when he says, My enemies speak evil against me. When will he die and his name perish? Here was David, anointed by God, a man after God's own heart, and yet people still hated him. And regardless of how kind you are or how many good things you do, there are going to be people that just don't like you. There's nothing you can do about it, so don't let it discourage you. Don't let that trip you up. The Apostle Paul was disliked, even by people that he stood with. You think of the Jewish people. He was talking to them and telling them that because of their sin, Paul is now instructed by God to take the gospel to the Gentiles. He admits that he was, he was with them. He stood approving when they stoned Stephen. And they're listening right to him as, as he's telling them all this, right up until the point where he tells them he's taking the gospel to the Gentiles, and then they wanted to kill him. Acts 22, verses 20 to 22 says, And when the blood of your witness Stephen was being shed, I also was standing by approving and watching out for the coats of those who were slaying him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. They listened to him up to this statement, and then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. The Christian needs to remember that if people hate you because you're trying to reach them out of love, concern, care, well, remember that the world hated Jesus before they hated you. Jesus says in John 15, verses 17 to 19, This I command you, that you love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Just keep keep on loving people. It's not you that they hate. It's Jesus. And yes, sometimes it may be a family member. Sometimes it may be a close friend. 
David dealt with it, as I said, with Absalom. Job dealt about with such a problem. You can read about it in Job chapter 19. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 and 35. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. As believers, obviously it hurts when people turn against you, but continue on. Jesus is divisive. There's no doubt about it. When, when, when you talk about Christ, there are going to be people that turn on you, that are going to reject you. You're not the first to feel that people are against you. You certainly won't be the last, and you're not the only one to feel that way. I don't know why it happens, but God will ultimately use it for good. You might think of Jesus' betrayal by Judas as, man, that, that was a bad thing. But God ultimately used it for good because Jesus went to the cross and paid for the sins of all mankind. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verses 44 and 45, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Sometimes it seems unfair that bad things happen to good people and that good things happen to bad people. But again, God will use those things. It's He's sovereign. He's in control. It pleases him to prosper both the good and the evil. Remember that God loves you. When it seems like the world is teamed up against you, when, when everybody's colluding against you, God loves you. And this is even though you were, you were once against him. And even now you still will sin against him. But despite how you turned against him, his mercy was so great and his love for you so strong that he bore your sins on the cross to make forgiveness of sins available, should you only ask. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 6, And you are dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them... We too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Verse 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. Jesus has already paid the debt of our sins when he died on the cross, lived that life without sin, and yet willingly gave that life up as a sacrifice to pay for the debt of your sins and my sins. He chose to take upon himself the weight of the sins of all mankind and pay for that with his death on the cross. He was buried, but then he rose again on the third day because he has the power over life and death. And you can have that power over eternal death by placing your trust in him. Admit your guilt. Admit your sin to God. Tell him that you believe that he died on the cross for you and that he was buried and rose again. Ask God to forgive you. And tell God that you want him to, to help you change, to repent from your sins, 
First John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. If you've done that today, placed your trust in Christ, won't you let us know? Send us a note through our website, btgprogram.com. We'd be encouraged to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening to the Beyond the Game program. I'm Rick Benson. We'll be back right after this short break. Here is the Red Hawks recap for this week, covering up through February 7th. The Red Hawks recap being brought to you by Roberts Wesleyan College. The men's basketball team has dropped two in a row this past week after losing on the road to the University of the District of Columbia 81-72 last Friday night. They were then tripped up by St. Thomas Aquinas 81-69 on Sunday. Junior Gene Toussaint led Roberts with 15 points and 9 rebounds in the loss to D.C., while junior Justin Vaughn led the Red Hawks charge against Aquinas with 18 points. For the ladies, it was sophomore Emily Miller netting 21 points as Roberts defeated the University of D.C. 75-52 on Friday. On Sunday, senior Lucy Copley hit six threes to finish with 18 points against St. Thomas Aquinas, but it wasn't enough as the Red Hawks fell 71-53. In track last Friday at the RIT February Invitational, freshman sprinter Brianna Rudolph turned in winning times in both the 60-meter and 200-meter races. And finally, the Roberts Wesleyan swim teams finished out their inaugural season on Saturday at the Geneseo Invitational. The men's team placed fifth out of the five teams competing, while the women took fourth out of five. Congratulations to head coach Sarah Smith and all the swimmers on getting their program off the ground. In home action coming up this week, the women's lacrosse team kicks off its season by hosting Merrimack College on Monday, February 12th, that at 3 p.m. And then next Friday night, the 16th, Queens College comes to town to take on the Roberts Wesleyan basketball teams. The women are scheduled to tip off at 6 p.m., followed by the men at 8. And you can see the full schedule of games at their website, robertsredhawks.com. There you can also get news, scores, highlights, and much more. And you can also follow Roberts Wesleyan Athletics on Twitter at RWC Redhawks. This has been the Redhawks Recap brought to you by Roberts Wesleyan College. At Roberts Wesleyan College, we know that you and your family are concerned about the cost of quality education. We are too. Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts. Starting fall 2018, if you come to Roberts as a freshman, we guarantee that you will graduate in four years. Why? Because you are worth the investment. You will graduate ready to make a difference. Our promise, and it's a promise that matters. To find out more, visit roberts.edu. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rick Benson. This is the Beyond the Game program, btgprogram.com or at btgprogram. Sports talk without the trash talk. Zach, let's get right into it. Let's give us uh, give us this week's shenanigans statements. All right, number one, Super Bowl hero Nick Foles will be a starting quarterback in 2018. I say shenanigans. He obviously played great throughout the postseason. He played well during the regular season, maybe not as well as he did in the postseason, but I say no only because unless someone is willing to give the Eagles a king's ransom, why would they not want to keep him? Mm-hmm. If I were them, I'd want to be certain, absolutely certain, that Carson Wentz gets all the way back 
before I even think about getting rid of Foles. So uh, they have time on their side. They don't have to rush anything. I don't think so. I think he's still with the Eagles because it just makes sense. I know it's a problem, but that's one of the good problems to have if you're an NFL team. Yeah, I say shenanigans as well. There is a legitimate chance that he's a starting quarterback for the first several weeks of the season, but it would be for the Eagles if Carson Wentz can't make it back right away. Ooh, a twist on the question. Um, Yeah, I I just thought of that. But uh, I think that he's more valuable to the Eagles than he is to anybody else because he's been successful in the offense. He's inexpensive. Um, I think the two quarterbacks for the Eagles combined to make about $15 million, which is very affordable for even one quarterback. Um, but to be to be convinced to give him away to another team, they would need to get a big haul for him. And there's so many quarterbacks available through free agency in the draft that I just don't see any team being motivated to pay that much. So I'll say shenanigans. He stays with the Eagles. And I don't want to be a Debbie Downer on this whole thing. Great story. I love it. I The, the faith-based perspective of mm. Nick Foles, Carson Wentz, and all what's going on there with the Eagles is exciting to see. But it's still a relatively small sample size of success that we saw with Nick Foles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess the question is, did he have – a couple of years where he was really good and he's not actually that good? Or did he get Jeff Fishard in the middle with the Rams? Who knows? I guess that's why I would be reluctant if I were a team to give him Mm -hmm. a boatload of money to find out that he's not the guy that we just saw. Now, I hope he is because, again, I'm not trying to be negative. I I like the player. I love the story. I want him to be successful. But I think the Eagles are better served keeping him because as I say, you're going to want to make sure Carson Wentz gets all the way back. Absolutely. Number two, the Super Bowl loss marks the end of the Patriot dynasty. What do you think? Boy, I really want it to be yes. but <laughs> That's why I wanted you to go first. You know, I have to say shenanigans. You know, Bill Belichick is still there. Now Josh McDaniels is still there somehow. Oh, that's a nutty story. Tom Brady is still there. Now they might be losing Rob Gronkowski to acting or the WWE, according to what we're hearing, but... Look, there's enough of the same players are still going to be there that while they might not be the same team that we've seen the last several years, they're not going away. I I agree with you. I say shenanigans. Uh, Admittedly, they have some things to figure out during the offseason. We keep talking about Brady's age, but he keeps going strong. They'd have to miss the postseason altogether before I'd Mm -hmm. even start talking about an end to the Patriots' incredible run. And that whole Gronkowski thing, is he going to retire? The Super Bowl hadn't ended 15 minutes, and these reporters are sticking a microphone in these guys' faces. Yeah. Hey, Tom Brady, are you going to retire? We just lost the Super Bowl, man. I haven't even started thinking about that. I don't – you know how I feel about this. This is sort of one of those things that frosts my fanny yeah. where these reporters say, well, I have to ask the question, you know? No, you, you don't. You don't, but you, they do. And it's such yeah. a, what do you want him to say? To ask the guy a question that he doesn't even know the answer to yet. Right. Hasn't even had time to go to the bathroom yet after the game had ended. And you're asking him about retirement? That's just so foolish. Mm. No, I don't I don't think it, it signals the end of the Patriots dynasty. Not yet. Here's the question everybody's been dying to hear the answer to, Benson. The Eli Manning, Odell Beckham, Dirty Dancing commercial was the best Super Bowl ad of all time. I agree. Absolutely. <laughs> I knew you would. That was fantastic. Although, I'll tell you, 
I found the Tide ads humorous too. Yeah. Because you're thinking you're, oh, here comes the old Spice ad, and then here comes that actor, whoever it is. Oh, this is a Tide ad. Oh. That was creative. That was humorous. That was creative like the Geico ads are creative. Whoever's been writing them for the last 30 years. To be honest, I, I didn't see them all. Watching at home with my wife because we have no friends, I get up, move about <laughs> during commercial breaks. Eli seemed to be in so many ads that it was like he was involved in the game, which is probably why the Patriots lost. Yes, I was going to go there. I, well, see, that's I stole your thunder. That's why I wanted to go first. <laughs> I thought it was humorous. I thought it was a great ad. I thought Beckham Jr. straight man to Eli mm-hmm. being the comedy guy. I thought that was genius because it's not how you would expect to see those two play out. So I just, I thought it was great. It was fantastic. It was definitely the best ad of this year, hands down. There's been a few way back in the day that I enjoyed more, but I mean, it's got to be top three, top five for me all time. I don't know if I can call it the best of all time. Just like, I don't know if I can call Tom Brady the best of all time. I can't remember past this year. So as far as I know, it's the best all time because I can't remember that far back. Bill's cornerback, Tredavious White, finished second in Defensive Rookie of the Year voting by a tally of 45-4 to to Saints cornerback Marshawn Lattimore, despite being pro football focused as top-rated rookie. So truth or shenanigans, Trey White got robbed. I agree, and I'm sure I'm going to take some of your thunder here as well because you're going to be on the same page as I am. I, I just know it. I, I, I'm not necessarily – I don't have a problem with Lattimore winning it outright. He was certainly deserving, but the margin is mm-hmm. what I found disturbing and outrageous. Not not that New Orleans is a hub of media, but the national guys just don't cover the Buffalo Bills, and their players are often overlooked. I'm, I'm convinced yeah. of that. I would have been okay if Tredavious White won, but I'm okay with Lattimore winning as well. I just think it should have been closer. But I guess then again, if you lose by one point or you lose by 41 points, what difference does it make? He's still lost. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say he got robbed. Look, pro football focus knows what they're talking about. Tredavious White was their top-rated rookie. He was their number three overall or number two overall cornerback on the season and postseason, two spots ahead of Marshawn Lattimore. Look, I'm not going to say that Tredavious White should have outright won the award because, look, Marshawn Lattimore never gave up a touchdown in his 13 games. But the thing is, he only played 13 games. So, of course, he gave up fewer yards, fewer scores, everything than Tredavious White did because he played fewer games. So, look, Lattimore was tremendous. He probably deserved to win the award, but maybe by a 25-24. to 24. Last but not least, one of the major storylines entering this Major League offseason was the Royals were going to lose franchise cornerstones Eric Hosmer, Mike Moustakis, and Lorenzo Cain to free agency. Cain has signed with the Brewers, but Hosmer and Moustakis are still among the glut of star caliber free agents who have yet to find new teams. So, to their shenanigans, at least one of those two guys, Hosmer or Moustakis, will wind up back in Kansas City this season. I agree. I, I think so. I, I'm sure we're going to see the dam break and a whirlwind of activity soon when it comes to these free agents. We just talked about this. But the longer it goes, I think the better home looks. It, w- it would seem to me. You know, you get frustrated. You're not being signed. You're not even getting offers from teams. And then you just kind of want to go back to what you're familiar with. The Royals, the Royals can't afford to lose all three. I know they can't afford to keep all three, but even if it's just to keep fans from revolting, they got to bring one of those guys back. And 
You know, the market for third baseman is so thin. I, I, I would think Moustakis is the most likely to end up back in Kansas City. So I actually think the opposite. Um, I agree with the question. One of them will be back. I think it's going to be Hosmer. Really? Um, yeah. The, I heard a comment by the— Well, with Kane gone, it could be both. Yeah. I heard a comment from the Royals GM recently that he said that Moustakis made it clear that his sights were set elsewhere. He made it sound like it was a done deal. Moustakis wasn't going to be back. Hosmer's supposedly had a seven-year offer from the Padres for weeks now, and supposedly only the Padres and the Royals were serious bidders. So I feel like if he wanted to go to the Padres, he would have done it already. So it makes it seem more likely to me he's just waiting out the Royals for as much as he could get. The fact that camps will open in three or four days and these guys don't have a home is... It's bizarre, isn't it? It's just so strange. There you have it. That's this week's shenanigans statements. There's still more to do on the show, so please come on back. I'm Benson. He's Barletta. This is the Beyond the Game program. Let's face it. Sometimes life hurts. Sometimes we can even get caught up in habits that are hard to break. That hurt can be especially painful for young people. But thankfully, God heals. Hope Church in Greece is offering a 12-week program called Life Hurts, God Heals. This program is intended to help students who are struggling with pain or addiction due to such things as drinking, cutting, pornography, eating disorders, troubled family dynamics, and more. Hundreds of students from middle school age to college age have been given tools to help overcome life's difficulties through this program, and many lives have been changed as a result. Life Hurts, God Heals is offered on Sundays from 1 to 2.30 p.m. in the Auditorium Theater in Rochester. And of course, it's absolutely free of charge. For more information, please visit the church's website, sharethehope.org, or call the church office at 585-723-HOPE. That's 585-723-4673, and ask for Jill. Whoa. The moment my son saw a redwood tree. Is the moment I knew that for him... You can't even see the top of that thing! Even the sky has no limit. There are some moments only the forest can inspire. Find yours at discovertheforest.org. Learn about forests near you and discover cool things to do when you go. Your moment is out there. Find it at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Along with Zach Barletta, I'm Rick Benson. This is the Beyond the Game program. Though Beyond the Game is recorded in Rochester, New York, each week the podcast is downloaded in numerous places all around the globe, including places like Kettering, Ohio, right here in the good old USA. Kettering, Ohio is the birthplace of the the very beautiful Brooklyn Decker. Ridiculousness host Rob Deerdeck is also born in Kettering, the former pro skateboarder helped build Skate Plaza, a 40,000-square-foot skateboarding park there in Kettering. Former Green Bay Packers linebacker A.J. Hawk, born in Kettering, the Dayton suburb. Boy, there's something in the water there. Holy cow. Basketball brothers John and Jim Paxson, born in Kettering, as is Nancy Cartwright, the voice of Bart on The Simpsons, and singer-songwriter Kim Ritchie, who wrote the great song, Nobody Wins, which Radney Foster had a hit with. It's country music. You probably wouldn't dig it. Yeah, no idea. It is a great song. And Radney Foster is a terrific artist. 
want to thank you for listening in Kettering, Ohio, and wherever it is that you're listening today. Thanks so much for listening. We're glad to have you along. And if you want to be like those folks in Kettering, you can subscribe to the podcast by visiting our website, btgprogram.com, or by finding it on iTunes or other podcast sources like Google Play. Click subscribe, and while you're there, if you would, leave us a review. I saw lots of tweets this week, Zach, after the Super Bowl, complaining about Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth's work during Super Bowl 52. I didn't think they did that bad a job. I thought they, I, in fact, I'm a, I like Al Michaels. So I think it's a, a kind of a treat anytime he's working a game. But I laughed at one guy and he wasn't alone in this, but he's a guy that both you and I know. So I'm picking on him a little bit, but both he and his wife complained that uh, Collinsworth and Michaels were having some sort of apparent love affair with Tom Brady and the <laughs> Patriots. And I had just said to my wife when I saw their post, I had just said that I thought maybe they had a little man crush on Doug Peterson because they kept talking about how courageous his play calling. But overall, I thought they did a pretty good job. There were two places where Collinsworth questioned. It was both both Eagles touchdowns where yeah. Collinsworth questioned, thought they would be overturned based on how the catch rule had been interpreted throughout the season. On those occasions, Bills fans, Patriots haters all across America were certain the NFL were somehow going to overturn these, somehow convince the refs to go in the Patriots' favors. And yet both times, the call on the field were was upheld and the touchdown stood. Mm-hmm. And I would not have... Re- Overturned a call in either situation. Oh, no. They seemed, they actually seemed like easy calls to me, but. I've heard Patriots fans saying they think their team got screwed. They didn't. No way. I, I yeah, I don't, I don't know that I would say they were easy calls. There was some question to them, and I think it's because there's so little clarity in the rule. Oh, the rule is ridiculous. Oh, it, it's a terrible rule. Although I would say the Corey Clement catch had it been ruled incomplete on the field, I don't think I would have overturned that one either. He racked up 100 yards on just four receptions. Obviously, the biggest reception, that touchdown catch at the at back of the end zone in the third quarter. Referees that he caught the ruled that he caught the ball, and he was while his left foot was down, and that he had adjusted the in, the ball in his arms, mm-hmm. lifted his foot, placed the, the right foot down, and they said it was a complete catch. Now, I don't know that he was adjusting the ball. In my opinion, and again, this is a judgment call, so however they ruled it, uh, look, I can ex- I can accept their explanation. But in my opinion, while his left foot was down, he was still trying to gain control of the ball. I don't think he had control of the ball until his right foot was down, which meant that that would have been the first foot down. The second one was looked to be where his toes were out of bounds. That would have been an incomplete pass and therefore no touchdown. But look, I I can accept the referee's explanation. They're there on the field. I'm watching it on TV. They said he was just adjusting it in his arms. Fine. It's a judgment call. Uh, I I didn't see enough there to really get all worked up about, did you? No, I didn't think so. But then there was the Zach Ertz catch where he caught the ball. Dove into the end zone, and the ball popped back up into the air, and he recaught it before it hit the ground. Mm-hmm. I have absolutely no problem with this call, 
especially since he recaught the ball. Did the ground cause the ball to come free? Was it already a touchdown? Did he break the plane? Was he a runner? Was he a receiver? All these things should not have to be figured out. It shouldn't be that complex. Right. When you look at that play as a football fan, that's a catch. Yeah. You know, that's a catch. Where the wheels come off is when you start comparing it to other catches and other situations throughout this football season. Or like all the salty Cowboys fans that are still comparing it to that Des Bryant catch from how many years ago? That's what I was just going to mention. Yeah, that's years ago. At some point, Mm -hmm. you got to let it go. Yeah. At some point, move on. And Cowboy fans are, they're a special group of people. Yeah. As are Steeler fans who are also a little salty about it because their guy, tight end Jesse James, had a similar situation. And of course, it's against Patriots, so conspiracy Mm. theorists are out in full force. Those guys were both ruled incomplete. The difference was... For Ertz, he was on his own power, mm-hmm. diving into the end zone. He had already taken a couple of steps, whereas Bryant and James were both being tackled. Mm-hmm. They hadn't completed the catch. Now, obviously, Steelers fans, Cowboy fans are a special group of people. Um, they see things a little different. Both plays were close. I get it. So if you lacked perspective, which... Most Steeler fans and Cowboy fans that I know (laughs) do lack perspective. You're going to see it as unfair. You're going to see it that your team got robbed. The Patriot fans, some of them are seeing it as their team got robbed. It was close. But there wasn't enough there to create a controversy. There wasn't enough there to say, oh, man, the Super Bowl got ruined. But it could have. It could have if that – and you almost thought it was going to happen. Yeah. I got the feeling that – it seemed like people were just waiting for mm-hmm. that occasion where it seemed like all season long it reared its head at least once in every game I watched. So it just made sense that eventually it's going to happen. The the problem is and it's obvious. Everybody knows what the problem is. Even the NFL knows what the problem is and at least they're planning to do something about it during the off season. The problem is clarity. The rule is not clear. As a result, you have different officiating crews interpreting it differently. So what looks like the same play is sometimes ruled a catch, sometimes it's not. It depends on the week. It depends on the officiating crew. And fortunately, that's not how it is when it comes to the Word of God. There's a doctrine of Scripture which says that what is necessary to be known for salvation in Christ is clearly outlined in the Bible so that it's available to everyone not just someone who is learned. You don't need to rely on a priest. You don't need to rely on a pastor. You don't need to rely on some other church elder for interpretation. That's not to say that those people are, or those roles are bad. Uh, They add a lot of clarity. They help us to learn. They help us to understand. They help us not to misinterpret. But when it comes to salvation, the Bible's pretty clear. Now, you could see where being illiterate or believing that you can't understand Scripture for yourself could lead to a lot of problems. And, of course, you're you're not going to be very motivated to read Scripture if you feel like you don't understand it. So God has made the Scriptures available, clearly available, to everybody who would read them. The NFL needs to be more like that. That catch rule needs to be more clear because it's one of the most important rules 
in the NFL, especially nowadays when it's a passing league. Even without ever opening a Bible, God has revealed himself to man. It's something referred to as general revelation. God has displayed his power and his divine nature through creation. One needs only to look at it, look at the stars, look at the advanced science, look at the beauty of the world around us, look at your own mind and into your own heart. God has revealed himself. Romans chapter 1 verse 20 says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Man can't blame God for not understanding or for not knowing. They can't say that God ran and hid himself from them. It's not the fault of God when people choose not to see or they refuse to see what is clearly laid out in nature. As people say, you know, you can see or not see whatever you want. When someone is spiritually curious, I like to send them to the Gospel of John. That book is so clear when it comes to how to know Jesus. Some of the passages are, are just so, for instance, take John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's pretty clear. John 14.3 clearly says that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now, of course, there's different parts of the Bible that are more difficult to understand, perhaps requires a little bit more study. But when it comes to being saved from hell, the Bible is very clear. Once saved, God God will give you his Holy Spirit. When you're saved, you get God's Holy Spirit who is with you from that point forward for the rest of your lives. That Holy Spirit plays a role in helping you understand Scripture, helping you to learn, helping you to uh, understand the more difficult passages. The Bible's a living book in the sense that it speaks to you through that Holy Spirit. Now, Satan, Satan wants Christians to be ignorant of the Word of God. We can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden when he baited Eve into sinning against God. He baited her by asking if God had really said that you couldn't eat from any of the trees. And whether she didn't pay attention or whether she didn't commit it to memory, whatever it was, she didn't know what God had said well enough. And she got it wrong when she answered Satan in Genesis chapter 3, verse 3, by saying, But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. Now, God had never said that if you touch it, you will die. But this was just enough of an opportunity for Satan to manipulate that situation and get her to doubt God, which happens all the time. People doubt God. People question his existence because they don't know the Bible. If believers don't know their Bible, the devil has nothing to worry about when it comes to us. Believing that the Bible cannot be understood by regular folk, it's just a lie. It's a lie designed to keep people in the dark. Psalm 119, verse 97 through 100 says this, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, because I have observed your precepts. By reading and meditating on the Word of God, 
we grow more. We understand more and more. And when we trust what it says and we obey what it instructs us to do, we grow all the more. As I say, when you step out in faith and you follow what it says, we grow because we're putting what we're learning into a practical application. Builds up our faith. If you're a believer in Christ, I want to encourage you to study the Word of God, to be a student of the Bible. Second Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And in Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to 17, it says, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. If you aren't a believer in Jesus, you can find him there in the pages of the Bible. It's very clear. Go to the Gospel of John if you're looking for a place to start. He wants you to know him. God wants you and invites you to have a relationship with him. If you're stuck between wanting to know Jesus, wanting to have the eternal life which he offers you, and that feeling of you'd have to give up so much, I challenge you that true peace, true joy only comes from knowing Jesus. James 4.8 says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. If you've, if you've got your heart and your mind set on the world and yet trying to set it on Jesus, I, I want to challenge you, draw close to God, and he will draw close to you. Psalm 34.8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. If you want more information about how you can know Jesus as your personal Savior, you can visit our website, btgprogram.com. We're going to take a break, but we'll be right back. We'll wrap up this week's show. I'm Benson. He's Barletta. You're listening to the Beyond the Game program. Are you a fan of March Madness? The Red Hawks are. And Roberts Wesleyan College will be hosting the East Coast Conference Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament this year. Plan to attend the semifinals on Saturday, March 3rd, and championship Sunday on March 4th, as teams compete to punch their ticket to the NCAA D2 National Tournament at Roberts Wesleyan College, Rochester's only NCAA Division II Athletic Scholarship Program. For all your Red Hawks information, visit robertsredhawks.com. Roberts Wesleyan, make it yours. You're listening to Beyond the Game, talking sports from a different point of view. Beyond the Game is listener-supported. You can help by making a one-time gift or perhaps even committing to a monthly pledge amount. And if you own a business, consider advertising during the Beyond the Game program and promote your business to large audiences of both sports fans and people of faith. Please join us as we seek to encourage, equip, and evangelize through Sports Talk Radio. Visit our website at btgprogram.com for more information or make a donation via PayPal Secure Servers. Beyond the Game thanks you for both your financial and prayerful support. Welcome back into the Beyond the Game program as we wrap up another week of talking sports from a faith-based perspective. Romans 13.7 tells us to render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Carolina Panthers running back Christian McCaffrey teamed up with the U.S. Automobile Association and the USO of North Carolina 
to give two Marine Corps veterans a trip to Super Bowl 52 last weekend. These two Marines served our country, and we can't thank them enough for their service, McCaffrey said. The two veterans, Ralph Waller and Richard Loftus, were to meet McCaffrey on Saturday at the USAA Salute to Service Military Appreciation Lounge before attending Sunday's game. After the season, McCaffrey told the local Charlotte TV station that faith plays a huge part in who I am. I'm a strong believer. Obviously, I'm not perfect, but I try to strive to have a positive relationship with the Lord and try to be a good person like the Bible preaches. Honoring these two servicemen with such an amazing trip is certainly a way to do that. The kindness and respect for our country's military veterans, shown by Panthers Christian McCaffrey, is what I like this week. What I liked this week were two stories that broke about the Philadelphia Eagles, which are now God's team, apparently, after the Super Bowl, when several players on the stage immediately after the game publicly thanked their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for putting them in that position, and also the story of John Dorenbos, former Bills long snapper, who then became the long snapper for the Philadelphia Eagles. In case you missed the story, before the season, they traded him to the New Orleans Saints, The Saints, in their post-trade physical, discovered that he had a serious heart ailment that would cause him to need to retire. So the trade was uh, undone. He went back to the Eagles and had to leave football. But the Eagles announced he will be getting a Super Bowl ring this season. That's what I liked this week. You like that? You like that? Well, that's going to do it for this week's show. I want to thank you for listening to the Beyond the Game program. If you want to find out more about what our show is all about, visit our website, btgprogram.com. There you'll be able to find information about the show, listen to past broadcasts, and detailed information about how you can know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And you can also make a donation to this radio ministry there at the website. This program is mainly listener-supported, so we depend on the financial support of listeners like you to be able to do what we do, which is bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to listeners all around the world through Sports Talk Radio. And don't forget, big holiday this week. Go out and get your loved ones something to Mark the occasion. So happy Pitchers and Catchers Day, everybody. For Zach Barletta, I'm Rick Benson. Lord willing, we'll be back together again next week right here at the same time. Be bold and be great this week, everybody. 